Um, we have come to uh, the close of Paul's letter uh, to the Philippians. We started this sermon series back in uh, mid-February at the time. Of course, we didn't, we didn't know what would be coming. Uh, if I remember right, the last time I was preaching in this pulpit, uh, there were almost 500 people uh, in the room, and now there uh, are less than that. Uh, less than 500 for sure. Um, what, I, what I do hope is that this letter of comfort uh, has been uh, a comfort to you. Uh, I want you to keep that in mind as, as we look at this last passage. I'm, I'm going to read uh, starting in verse 10 of chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there now to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, if you don't, we do have the passage uh, printed for you um, on your worship guide. So uh, let's now give uh, our attention to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. This is Philippians uh, chapter 4. Again, I'll start in verse 10 and, and read through the end of the chapter. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. God, we do pray now that you, by your spirit, would take these words, uh, your word, the words of life, and that you would bless them uh, to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, at the end of Paul's letter here, uh, we see the very final words of encouragement that he has for this worried and discouraged congregation. He's just finished saying that in Christ, you can bring all of your concerns and even your anxieties uh, to God. And you can even have a peace that Paul says surpasses understanding. It goes beyond anything that you might expect or even ask for. And so as Paul here thanks, Philippi thanks the Philippians for their financial gift... It might seem almost like he's changing the subject, but what he's actually doing is he's, he's using this specific situation to draw together some closing application for the Philippians in his letter. 
And so he starts in verse 10 by saying that he rejoiced that they revived uh, their concern for him. And he, he doesn't want them to get the wrong idea. He wants to make it very clear. He's, he's not chiding them uh, for not having given money sooner. Now, he knows they had good intentions all along, and now they've just finally gotten the opportunity to express those intentions. He's also, he's not just glad uh, that his own money has finally come in. As he goes on to explain, material needs are not really his main concern here. Now, what he wants them to know is very simple. It's the same thing uh, that I want you to know, that Christians have everything they need in Jesus Christ. That is, if you are united to Jesus, you already have everything you need. And so this passage looks at a specific case. It looks at Paul's relationship with the Philippians, and it fleshes out some of the implications for us of our union uh, with Christ. So to see some of those implications, what we're going to do is we'll look at two aspects of this uh, situation. First, we'll look at Paul's contentment, and then we'll look at the Philippians' partnership with him. Paul's contentment and the Philippians' partnership. Uh, first, to look at Paul's contentment, you know, as I studied this passage uh, this week and I thought about what true contentment ought to look like, I, I found that my mind would get fixed on one of, of two directions. On the one hand, maybe I would be more content if I just had more of what I wanted. Maybe if I had more time or if I just had the means to fulfill uh, my desires. And for some reason, I, I kept thinking of Jeff Bezos, uh, the CEO of, of Amazon, the richest man in the world. He couldn't possibly need anything, but he seems to want more. And so on the other hand, maybe, you know, maybe if I just wanted less. I could find contentment. If I could just learn to adjust my expectations. And so I thought of Jeremiah Johnson. I don't know if you've seen that movie. A, a, a character who leaves his home to go and learn to live in the mountains uh, by himself. But Paul, he's not thinking about how to have more. And he's not thinking about how to somehow reduce our desires down to a manageable level. Not Jeff Bezos and, and not Jeremiah Johnson. But what is contentment? Or even better, what is the secret that Paul is talking about? Well, first, uh, in verse 11, he tells us contentment has to be learned. In other words, it takes time and it's a process. If you are a professional counselor, uh, you have to have thousands of hours of supervised sessions before you can be licensed. And that's in addition to all of the educational requirements that you have. Well, contentment's no different. Contentment is not just a test that you can pass and then move on to other things. Contentment comes in a lifetime of lessons. It's a lifetime of seeing your own resources 
come up short and having to return again and again to the well of grace in Jesus Christ. Through time and through experience, we learn to trust in God's goodness and in his providence in all kinds of situations. Paul says he's learned actually how to be both brought low and how to abound. I wouldn't mind learning the how to abound lesson. That doesn't sound too bad, but Paul says we need the full range of human experience in order to teach us contentment. And that brings us to the second thing. Contentment actually isn't found in our circumstances at all. Paul says he knew contentment in whatever situation, in verse 11, and in any and every circumstance, in verse 12, because contentment is actually independent of these things. Friends, if you are just waiting for things to change, if you are expecting the world to bring contentment to you, you will never have it. That's not where we find it. But I want you to know that contentment is not just a, it's not just a kind of hardened stoicism either, as though the real idea here is just to not feel anything or to not really care all that much. When, when Paul says that he's learned how to be brought low, this is the same word translated humbled in chapter 2. When Paul speaks of Jesus himself becoming obedient to the point of death, you see, he's not just talking about what's going on outside of him. He's not just talking about being poor. He's talking about being humiliated and ashamed. And yet even in spite of those things, he still could be content because it doesn't come from his inner resources either. You see, far from it, Paul was a man who we know from chapter 3 had learned to count everything as loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. And so he's learned to look outside of himself and beyond himself, to look to his all-sufficient Savior. Contentment is never found in self-sufficiency, but a real grasp of Christ's sufficiency for us. And so that's the third thing. Contentment is always and only found in Christ. It's in contemplating and experiencing our union with him. And so verse 13, Paul has a memorable, a very quotable verse here. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now this doesn't mean that Christians are somehow omnipotent through him who strengthens us. Uh, the all things in verse 13 refers back to the any and every of verse 12. In other words, Paul is saying, I can be content in every kind of circumstance, no matter what. And it comes through Christ because I am in Christ by faith. You see, at the end of the day, time and experience won't be enough to really teach you contentment. You need experience in Christ, learning to live in light of your union with him. You know, there's a lot of people who've been through hard things 
and still come out on the other side more angry than when they started or more depressed than when they started or more cynical than when they started. And this pandemic uh, won't be uh, any different. You see, contentment is not just a, a bare fact. It is a thing to be cultivated through a lifetime of contemplating and experiencing our union with him. That is the secret. We have to get a firm grip on our union with Christ to embrace it by faith, to think about it, to pray about it, to ask God to help us to believe it more, to put it into practice so that over and over in all kinds of circumstances we learn to trust what God says about us because of our union with Him. If you are united to Jesus, that is what determines your value. That is what determines your destiny. It's not your money. It's not your parents. And it's not where you're from. Real contentment doesn't look like Jeff Bezos or Jeremiah Johnson. Real contentment is knowing because I am united to Jesus if I never get the raise. If I never get married or if my father is never pleased with me. Jesus Christ is in me and I am in him. And so I have everything I need right now. So why is this such a, why is it such a hard lesson for us to learn? I know for me, I know for me, I just don't want to be weak. I want to be able to take care of myself. And so when I see weakness, I, I run from it. I run to my strengths and I run to distractions. But I think we're actually, we're actually in the most danger when we don't feel our weakness. There's a kind of, a kind of worldly contentment where everything just sort of seems fine that actually drives us away from Jesus, away from the cross, and away from trust. But we know that Paul was most content when he felt his weakness. When he was most dependent on Jesus, he was most aware of what he calls the power of Christ at work in him. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says he could be even be content with insults, content with hardships and persecutions and calamities. And even he learned to say, it's when I'm weak that I am strong. What Paul wanted the Philippians to know and what I think God wants us to know is that if you are in Christ, then you're already a citizen of heaven. It's objectively true about you that you have nothing to fear, that your future is fixed. But Paul wants more than that. He wants you to experience it. He wants it to be subjectively true. That's actually why he's rejoicing here. It's because of the Philippians' partnership and what it says about them. You see, union with Christ 
can bring us contentment in all things, but we also see through the Philippians' partnership that union with Christ enables us to give ourselves away. In verse 14, Paul commends uh, their generosity, but it's, it's, more, it's more than just a thank you note here. This is something uh, personal, and so he says that they shared in his trouble. Uh, more literally, it's that they were partners in or fellowshiped in his affliction. You see, this is about more than just money for Paul. Of course, it includes their recent financial support. But what Paul has in view is a deeper participation in his life and ministry. And so those words, uh, giving and receiving there in verse 15, those are the language of friendship. In other words, it's, it's not a gift with, with strings attached. It's the gift of a close friend who gives knowing he's already received so much in the friendship. And he expects that he'll receive even more just by being friends. The Philippians aren't, aren't giving to Paul to fulfill some kind of obligation. And they don't really expect anything in return. And Paul just to make it even abundantly clear that the gift is not even the thing he's interested in. And he says in verse 17, it's not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You see, what Paul is after is their spiritual good. So it's not just a a thank you note that's actually angling for more uh, future gifts. He wants them to know that when they give out of the riches of their union with Christ, it's to their benefit. And then he describes their gift in this sort of surprising way. He calls it a, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. In another of Paul's letters, in Ephesians 5, he, he says that when Christ gave himself up for us, that that was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Paul's using the same language for Christ's crucifixion to describe the Philippians' financial support. There's no higher praise that he could offer because the true value in what they have given is not what it does for Paul, but that it pleases their God. It pleases God himself. Do you see how this could transform the way we think about our resources? Could completely change the way we think about what we spend and what we share and what we decide to give away. Paul goes on to add that it's actually, it's God who's going to reciprocate the gift. You see, even though Paul can't really give them anything in return, as far as we know, he actually never got out of prison after he wrote this letter. He never saw the Philippians again. He tells them in verse 19 that it's God who will supply their every need. I can think of a lot of things that I need. I wonder uh, what comes to mind when you think of what you need. I mean, what do you really need? 
In chapter 1, we know that the Philippians needed to stand firm. And Paul says, in Christ, God will help them. In chapter 2, we know they needed to live humbly and in unity so that they could be a light to the world. And in Christ, God will do it. In chapter 3, we know they needed to persevere through suffering. And God will grant it to them in Christ. You see, if this is true, if it's true that we have everything we need in Jesus, well, then we are free to give ourselves away. We're free not to hold tightly to our things, to hold tightly even to our relationships or even to life itself. Earlier this week, uh, Nan, my wife, she made uh, some churros. I don't know if you've had churros. They're, they're kind of like donuts. They're just they're fried and have sugar. That's, that's what you need to know if you don't know what a churro is. Well, in a matter of seconds, uh, a plate full of churros had whittled down uh, to one churro. And there were two children standing on either side of this plate. And I thought, I thought we might get a little bit of a standoff. Uh, but to my surprise, one looked at the other and said, you know, uh, you can have the last one. But you see, she knew that there was another full plate of churros in the kitchen. You see, it was out of the riches of mom's kitchen that she was free to be generous with her brother. Well, God's provision is according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you are united to Jesus, the supply is endless and we can give freely without fear. We can give with the confidence that God will supply every need that we have and we can give knowing that our destiny is secure. And again, it's not just about money that Paul is speaking here, but he's talking about our time. We can give away our preferences. We can give away our comfort and our desires. All these things and more, we are free to give as we learn to contemplate the riches in glory that we have in Jesus Christ. So, Redeemer... Let's not, let's not just hunker down through this pandemic and try to wait it out and hope there's something more satisfying on the other side. Let us learn to ask, what else might we give away out of the rich supply that we have in Jesus? And let's pray. Let's pray together that we could learn to say in every circumstance with Paul in verse 20 to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. God, we do pray that you would teach us to praise you in any and every circumstance. We pray that you would teach us to contemplate all that we have by faith in Jesus. God, give us 
discipline and diligence to search the scriptures to see all that you have given us by faith in your son. God, remind us that in giving your son, we have the promise and down payment of much more to come and that you will never let us go. God, teach us to trust in you, to have all our hope in Christ and his promises. We ask these things in his name. Amen.